It's Tuesday, August 2nd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week. And joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker and Bill Mann. Guys, welcome. Thanks, Mac. On today's show, we're going to talk deals, downgrades, and priceless cover-ups. But we begin with Tuesday's news that consumer spending dropped in June for the first time in almost two years. Um, incomes ticked up around 0.1%, which was the smallest increase since November. Tim Hansen, what does it mean for investors? Well, it's interesting. I mean, finally, the numbers that we're seeing being reported, I think, are starting to to reflect what people have been seeing in real life for for months now, which is that the consumer is not doing well. And the reports that we were, you know, doing better or emerging from from sort of a consumer downturn, particularly, you know, among um, middle class and lower consumers, you know, has basically been a lot of bunk or has been more hope than than reality. Um, In terms of what this means for investors, you know, obviously earnings have, generally speaking, been been good. But investors need to remember that there are a lot of components to earnings, some of which are not that sustainable. And some of the reports that we've been seeing have actually, um, you know, companies are doing things that that are boosting their earnings, but not in a sustainable way, such as lowering stock-based comp, you know, not collecting cash, but booking the sales, that sort of thing. So, you know, look out. Bill, man. I mean, to me, this is such a dust statistic. One of the ways that you get back into fiscal health is to take your spending down below what you could possibly carry. And that's how you, you know, that's, you know, a, a main way that consumers would extinguish debt. So, you know, to me, it's a confidence number. And obviously, there's been very, you know, a lot of things over the last month that have lowered confidence for uh, for consumers. So this, it really didn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And, and the reported numbers about the number of companies that have been beating expected earnings and expected revenues, of course, one of the main components of that is what were the expectations? And there's a long-going tradition <laughs> by Wall Street analysts to keep expectations within a range that can be beaten. Yeah. Uh, so it, when you hear 70, 75% are, are, are beating expectations, uh, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're beating their own expectations. It's just the beating the expectations that they've fed to Wall Street analysts, which are, are then mouthed out to, to the media. A lot of companies have said that uh, that they're very uncertain about regulatory frameworks and that they are not they are waiting for some more certainty before they start spending. So a lot of I think a lot of the line items that you're looking at is capital spending that's being delayed. And so obviously there's going to be a boost to earnings, you know, if, if companies aren't spending and and they aren't. Okay, Tim, as we close out this story, how about one stock on your radar as you put all of this in your blender here? What do you come out with? You know, one I've been looking at for a long time, and we've talked about it before, is is Walmart. You know, this is a company that has a capital position to survive a consumer downturn. And, and frankly, they should do better as, as, you know, sort of weaker hands get shaken out if this persists for a long time. But also, alternatively, you know, I, I, even if the U.S. consumer gets better, I don't think we're looking at a you know five, ten-year bull market for the U.S. consumer. So another reason to, to look at Walmart is that they've got a lot of exposure outside the U.S., uh, Latin America, notably as well as Asia, and, and I think that's a good thing for the company. But it's being valued like it's going to be stuck in this U.S. consumer rut forever, and that's simply not the case either because the U.S. consumer does get a little bit better, or they show how well they're doing outside the U.S. Yeah, it's amazing to me how the investors seem to have ignored how well Walmart's done over the last five years. Mm -hmm. At the time of this taping, the debt ceiling deal is all but done, but the drama isn't over, guys. One of the big questions, of course, will Standard & Poor's downgrade U.S. debt? Now, Bill Mann, we talked about it on yesterday's show. The consensus seemed to be that S&P wouldn't 
downgrade the U.S., at least not right now. They, they wouldn't want to take on that heat. Um, are we going to see a downgrade, and what might that mean? I mean, and there are even conspiracy theories out there that, uh, that, that, that the ratings agencies will feel some more heat about their, their role in the mortgage mess if, uh, you know, if, if a downgrade happens. I, I don't really know how you handicap this because it's, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, obviously since the beginning of, uh, you know, of the rating agencies hasn't happened. I, I honestly don't think it would be catastrophic to lose, you know, to go down a single notch. Um, not for like the federal level, it would be problematic for a lot of municipalities. But um, what would be really problematic is a, you know a, a multi-notch drop. Okay, so going down a single notch would bring us to double A status. We join countries. Double A is pretty good. Double A, it's my favorite kind of battery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there yeah, you go. Top five battery. Yeah. Be best. yeah, oh yeah. Oh, double A is great. Um, you've got Japan, you've got China, and you've got Saudi Arabia. All double A status. Do any of those countries um, serve as a preview of coming attractions if we get downgraded? No, I mean because we we have <laughs> no, I mean they don't because we you know the the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, so we still have in dollar terms we have fixed financing costs and and no other country does. So it's 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 really hard to say that you know that there is you know a roadmap for where the U.S. might go if it's if it goes down to double A. I mean, we're, we're you know we're a unique bond market. We're becoming a little bit less unique in our in our you know willingness to to play politics with our economy. But no. for the time being, you know the U.S. is still is still number one, even if the letters say different. I I think the downgrade is going to happen sooner or later. I'll give you a scenario. I I agree that S and P Moody's they've got uh, some things they've got to answer for in their own. Uh, ratings recent history and that might color what they're willing to do but I think one of the lesser rating agencies uh, could like Ed's yeah, rating would, agency <laughs> there there's some out Ed's. there that <laughs> Ed is tough <laughs> but say you want to say say you want to make a name for yourself you know like Ed like Ed Ed's this program agency. sponsored by Ed's rating agency <laughs> and you come out and you state the obvious about how the US is not uh, going through the actions it needs to to objectively maintain its AAA status puts a little bit more pressure on on Moody's and, and S and P. That's a message I'm not hearing everywhere else. Okay, guys, let's talk about the debt deal itself. Um, Bill Gross from Pimco, the world's largest bond fund, um, said that nothing in the deal will make a significant dent in our 1.5 trillion dollar deficit. Bill, man, wait, wait, wait. A, a bond guy said this. A bond guy said that. Now. First of all, should we be listening to Bill Gross? And that, secondly, do you agree? I find that hard to believe. Well, I mean, the the fact is that uh, the, to get to at a balanced budget, you have to be looking at you know trillion dollar cuts, and there are really only three places that you know three segments of the government that have trillion dollar budgets: Medicare, the Defense uh, Department, and Social Security. So, unless any of those th- three things are on the table, I think ultimately. He's right. Well, Gross is absolutely right. I mean, when you take his statement, it's uh, does anything make a, a significant dent in you know this year? We're not talking about the total debt. We're talking about this year's deficit, one point five trillion. There's nothing, you know, virtually nothing that affects current spending. Yeah. So there, there was no attempt to make any significant dent in the economics of the U.S. government on a on a current basis. It's all. 
you know, what there has been done has mostly been pushed out to future years. Tim, China is, of course, our largest foreign creditor, um, China state-run news agency. Thank you, China. Yeah, thank you, China. Thank you. <laughs> you did us a solid. China state-run news agency um, had this to say about this debt drama. Quote, the ugliest part of the saga is that the well-being of many other countries is also in the impact zone when the donkey and elephant fight. End quote. So what can China do about this donkey and elephant fighting? Not a whole lot. Very little. I mean, at the end of the, you know, China will, will, will they rattle their spend. favor. They can spend. Yes. I mean, they've, they, got, they've got a policy of running budget uh, budget surpluses. They right. could spend. Right. But obviously that has consequences for them as, as, as an economy, you know, given the fact that there's a huge wealth gap in that country. And if you start spending and the currency rises or those sorts of things, a lot of people in China get left behind. And, you know, again, as I said previously, the best lens to view China through is through one where the government, all they want above all else is stability. And so we're in this sort of corrupt bargain with China where everybody's mm-hmm. guilty, where, where, you know, we let China subsidize our profligate spending habits and we, you know, then allow them um, to keep their currency low and everybody's sort of happy because they keep stability and, and, and we pretend we're still wealthy. And China can't take its money and go home, right? It, it's well, a they- zero-sum game. At, you know, at the end of the day, in order for China to go somewhere else, um, th- th- well, there's nowhere else for China to go. There's no one else big enough, liquid enough that's willing to tolerate yeah. massive uh, trade deficits like we have with China, you know, and, and, and there's just nowhere else for China to go. Uh, Bruce Greenwald, who's a professor at Columbia Business School, made this point when uh, he came and visited us, I guess, last year, is that one of the big one of the big issues is that certain countries, China, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Germany, all have policies to run surpluses. And, you know, as a reserve, as the as the country with the reserve currency, that means that we run a deficit. It's just, you know, the math has to zero out. So, I mean, I was I was joking about they could spend more, but if they had a policy of not running budget surpluses, it would change the math a little bit. The the whole thing to me sounds like the prescription that you, we might find in the not too distant future in in fortune cookies, <laughs> and that is you know this this notion of the impact <laughs> zone when the donkey and the elephant fight. It might be sort of avoid the impact zone when the donkey and elephant fight. And you open that and you read and it then out. Lucky, what does it mean? And then the lucky numbers are... <laughs> I, did, I did avoid talking about the magic of that quote. <laughs> so typically stilted for the Chinese Central Bank. Okay, and speaking of China, we're going to close with a cover-up in China. Museum workers, I love this love story. Love this. It's great. Museum workers at the Forbidden City Palace Museum in Beijing accidentally smashed a thousand-year-old ceramic dish, oops, and then tried to cover it up by gluing the pieces back together. Did they use ancient glue? I, you know, unclear. I, I, would go, <laughs> I actually would have gone with duct tape. I always go duct tape first out of the shoot, but I guess that's even more obvious. So, guys, accidents happen. We all know that. <laughs> so with that in mind, oops. let's all weigh in. Let's belly up to the bar. Tell me about your most expensive accident in terms of something that you broke. Bill Barker. Well, I guess there are those that would question whether this was an accident. But uh, <laughs> in my youth, I used, there I, was. <laughs> I used to break the occasional racket when it disappointed me. And really, I mean, it was... <laughs> Probably the accumulation of the rackets that I, I smashed on my own ac- accidentally, really, well, I would have to believe. I think that's the most money I've thrown away on, on uh, broken things. And those are wooden rackets, right? Uh, some of them. Some of them. Okay. <laughs> they didn't have wood back then. <laughs> that, was, that was chiseled out of stone. <laughs> they were made from granite. <laughs> Tim? Uh, my brother and I uh, used to play 
much to our, our parents' dismay, used to play hockey in the hallway of our house. And one time we were playing, and I got checked into the wall and basically went straight through the wall, <laughs> leaving a very large hole. Um, serendipitously, my mother, who's an art, that became Tim's room, an art collector, <laughs> an art collector of sorts, had a had a Navajo rug hanging over the very spot that I went through the wall, and so my brother and I just backed away, and the rug was still there, and there was a huge hole behind the rug. We never told anybody. Fast forward, uh, gosh, it must have been... It's like a Shawshank Redemption moment. <laughs> yeah, really. it's amazing. 15 or 20 years later, I guess, uh, my mom, they went to have their kitchen redone. And as they were demoing the kitchen, they took the rug down and found this giant hole in the that wall. That is outstanding. But they were already getting ready to demo the demo the room, <laughs> so it didn't matter at that point. So, so, so Tim, is, Tim is currently grounded, though. <laughs> that, was a, that was an expensive accident, plus a cover-up. And and it worked out with a happy ending. So my dad. So note to self: always have a Navajo rug at the. Ready. You know, you know, I was skeptical of how much stuff we had hanging on our walls sometimes in, in, when I was a kid, but it turned Stung out, by. yeah, just enough. That's the answer. Enough. That's great, Bill. Man, I had a friend who was a uh, who, who who's uh, who's really big into into Legos, and he'd made this massive spaceship, and he bragged a lot. He's like, yeah, yeah, it took me like five minutes to do. I was like, all right, so we were playing with it, and because it took him five minutes. I threw it again. Was this the- recent? Or? <laughs> yeah. This is, this, is, this is my son, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't know the difference between minutes and months. So I Dad, threw it took this, me five minutes. I threw this Lego spaceship against a wall, and the kid just went absolutely apoplectic. That took me months. So I, uh, I gave him the gift of being able to do it again. That's, so that's nice, and 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 you you made <laughs> hey, amends. You're, you're welcome, <laughs> Mark Gurney. You're welcome, <laughs> and you made amends at some point. No, no, I think that's the last time I ever saw. Him. Well, do you want do you want to say anything to him right now? <laughs> not really. <laughs> he had it coming. He had it coming. He's not listening, Matt. Come on. <laughs> okay, Tim Hansen from Motley Fool Global Gains, and our very special guest, along with Tim, who's special as well, Super um, special. from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker and Bill Mann. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mac. Thanks, Mac. As always. <laughs> People on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Thank you, Bill. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and we will see you next time. 